You can turn with me in your scripture to Isaiah 42, the prophet Isaiah, just a little bit after the book of Psalms. Isaiah chapter 42, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4, and we'll be focusing mainly on verse 3. So I think while there are many times in our Christian life where we can look back and reflect on how the Lord has worked in our lives and we can see his hand and we can see times in our Christian life where maybe we would say something like we were on fire for the Lord, right? Maybe it was when we first came to the Lord. Maybe it was in a season that for no particular reason we felt like the, the providence of the Lord and the hand of the Lord was on us and we were just on fire for the Lord. We were walking in holiness. We were, um, we were just, we had a passion for studying God's word, a passion for being at worship and worshiping with God's people. But I think that for many of us, a lot of times in the Christian life, we feel the very opposite of that. <laughs> we don't feel like we're on fire. In fact, we feel like we are being put out as a fire. We feel often very discouraged in our faith. And I think many of us can relate to this feeling, this feeling of being discouraged in our walk with the Lord. Like the promises of God might be for everyone else. They might apply to them, but they don't apply to us. Maybe you felt broken down by your sin gone through a season where it seemed like you couldn't even overcome the easiest, most simple sin in your life, that for whatever reason, it was difficult to overcome even a simple sin. Maybe it was a white lie that you just couldn't stop telling or some other thing. Maybe it was a big thing. For whatever reason, sin seemed to be weighing you down with grief, with guilt, unable to even come before the Lord There's a fear that you're not going to be forgiven, that there's no way he could forgive me because I've sinned this way so many times. Maybe some of us have been encouraged by our lack of growth in faith, a lack of repentance in our life. We find ourselves going back to the same sin over and over again. And that repentance, that turning from our sin that we used to feel, we're not feeling as much anymore. Maybe our sanctification is lacking, struggling to overcome our sin. And it can seem as if in those seasons, if you've ever been in that season of drought, it can seem as if everything is lost, right? There's no hope for me. There's no way God could be there for me. I'm of no use to him and I'm undeserving of his mercy, unworthy to receive his hand of grace. I think this describes most of us at some point or another in our Christian walk. Whether you're a new believer in Christ who's still learning how to walk with the Lord. Maybe you're someone with a very soft conscience that even the smallest sin causes you to question your salvation. Am I really saved? Or maybe you are a mature believer that's been walking with the Lord, but is in this season of doubt and despair. And we've all at one time or another experienced seasons of great sorrow, weakness, doubt, when it feels as if we are about to be broken into pieces. This can be discouraging, it can be disheartening, and it can cause us to feel utter despair over our walk with the Lord. But as we come to God's word today, we find in the prophet Isaiah, in the prophecy of this Christ who is to come, we find today in God's word great comfort and great promises for weak 
and hurting sinners like you and I. That even in the depths of our sin, even in our shortcomings, despite our failures, despite our weaknesses, despite our utter helplessness at times, we have in Christ the servant that is promised here in Isaiah 42. We see the promise that he is a humble and tender savior. That he does not cast out the brokenhearted, but he binds up and saves the crushed in spirit. Not a domineering leader who crushes those who show any sign of weakness, but as we read in Matthew, the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. So we're going to look closely at verse 3, but I'll read for us Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord through the prophet Isaiah says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Let's pray this morning, this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We pray now that as we come to your word, that we would come to believe it and rest upon it, not because of it being the words of mere men, but because of what it truly is, the word of the living God. Would you write your word upon our hearts this evening that we might come to have faith in Christ, our tender and humble Savior. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we see in chapter 42 of the prophet Isaiah, we see the promise of the coming Messiah, what many will call the servant songs. We're very familiar with places like Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant that's going to come. But before this, in Isaiah 42, we see the promise of this servant come up. And we see this prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting, even in these first couple verses, to see the Trinitarian nature of the sending of this suffering servant. That we see it is the Son who is the incarnate servant that's going to come and take on flesh. We see that he's chosen and beloved of the Father who's going to send this Son and the one in whom his soul delights. And we see at the end of verse 1 that this servant will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this work of redemption. But in verse 3, which is what we will look at this evening, we see the uniqueness and the disposition of this servant. We see his demeanor. It's not like those domineering leaders, not like those shepherds that eat the sheep, but the one that protects the sheep and bears with them even in their weakness. And so we're going to look at three things this evening. First, we're going to look at a bruised reed at the first part of verse 3. Secondly, we're going to look at a smoking wick in the second part of verse 3. And then finally, we'll look at the kingdom of grace. 
So we see in the first part of verse three, it says a bruised reed he will not break. Now the prophet here uses this picture of a bruised reed to describe those who are broken down, who are weak and have lost all their strength. This reed here that is being pictured is like the tall grass that you might see around a pond or a lake, right? Something that is not a great oak tree, not a mighty cypress, but a lowly stalk of grass, okay? That's what this reed here is being pictured. That's easily blown in the wind, that has no real strength in and of itself. It's a reed, it's a piece of grass that's easily blown around with no real strength of its own. It's not a tree, it's a reed. And it's not whole, it's bruised, as we read at the beginning of verse three. Trampled down and flattened, as if by a storm, no longer standing proud, but beaten down, nearly broken, and as we read, bruised. This here is a picture of God's dear children, broken down, miserable, not standing tall and proud, but overcome by their sin and bruised and miserable. This describes God's people not only before their conversion, but we see here it applied to God's people even after conversion. That this bruised reed is those that are greatly troubled. One who is, as Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 5, who is miserable and poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this could be for various reasons. It could be for trials and tribulations that the Christian is facing. It could be for persecution or pestilence. But I think what is chiefly in view in these verses is one who is undone by their sin, who has seen clearly the effects of their sin and is miserable over their iniquity. They, like Isaiah, see a vision of the holy God and are not puffed up in pride, but are undone by the holiness of the triune God. Those that have come to faith in Christ have their eyes opened by the Spirit, but by that opening of their eyes, one of the first things they see is the greatness of their sin, and they're overcome by it. They say, my sin is great, I am undone, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is the cause, ultimately, of their misery. They are bruised, they are undone, they are greatly troubled, and they are afflicted. Now, I think many of us have felt like this before, as we mentioned previously. Maybe it was near our conversion, where we became aware of the manifold evils that we had lived in before we came to Christ, where before those things didn't bother us, but because of what Christ has done for us, opening the eyes of our hearts, all of a sudden we see our manifold sin at every layer of our life. Inwardly, our thoughts, outwardly, our words and our actions, everything becomes clear to us that we have lived a life of sin and that we continue in our sin even after conversion. Maybe it is a particular sin in our life that we can't seem to overcome. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sin that we commit and after we commit this particular sin, we feel discouraged, we feel broken down, we feel bruised like the reed here pictured. Or maybe for some of us, it's a long season that we are in 
we're feeling beaten down by the waves of our sin, and as the psalmist will say, downcast in our soul. That for whatever reason, it's a season of drought, a season of despair. We're, we're attending the things of God, we're coming to church, we're reading our Bibles, but we feel dry, we feel broken down, and we feel bruised. But it's important to remember in these seasons, and as we look to this topic, that this bruising is not without its benefit. It's not without its purpose. That just as sometimes we give our kids sour medicine that they don't like, so that they will ultimately be healed and feel better from this sickness, just as the waves throw us onto the rock of ages, in many ways this bruising draws us to our need of Christ and our need of the gospel, right? This bruising that we feel in our souls ultimately draws us to him. That it is possible that when we are bruised, that we are most able to clearly see just how great our need is, right? When we're standing strong and proud, when we're walking in the Christian faith, it's easier for us to rest on our laurels. We don't see our need as much. We don't think we're as dependent upon God. And so when we feel bruised, when we feel broken down, is actually when, our, when we feel our need most acutely. It's when we're brought face to face with our weakness. But it's often in these times that it, we see the greatness of this promise that we see in the latter part of verse 3, that this promise that Christ will not break the bruised reed. <laughs> that even though we are bruised, that even though we are in despair, we see the promise that Christ will not break the bruised reed. That as we read this evening, he is tender and patient with his children. That as Matthew says, he is gentle and lowly in heart. He is the merciful Savior that bears with our iniquities and our infirmities. And that he will not break even the weakest Christian. <laughs> he will not break, but he will bind and he will heal up. That the one whom he saves will never be crushed in spirit. And by the ministry of his word and his spirit, he will bind up that which is broken and he will strengthen the weak and feeble knees. And I think this gives us a great model and example here for us that we are to bear with the weakness and infirmities of one another, right? I think we can think ourselves maybe more holy than Christ when we see a brother or sister sin against us or maybe we see them in their weakness stumble or fall into a sin, and we can say, how dare they do that? We instantly want to bring the law on them and sometimes even be tempted to crush them. But we see pictured here the tenderness of our Lord that he bears with us in our weaknesses and infirmities. He is gentle and humbly cares for us. So how much more should we, in our humility, care for one another? And... He's not heavy-handed, he's not domineering, but he comes to us and he tenderly cares for his children. But we also see, secondly, that Christ will not only break the bruised reed, but he will not quench the smoking wick. He will not extinguish the smoldering flax. And that leads us to our second point, a smoking wick. That the imagery used in this second picture is that of a flame that is near to going out, 
but is not yet extinguished. A flame that is almost out, but is covered in smoke. As the prophet says, a a faintly burning wick. As the older translations say, a smoking flax. A flax is just like a a wick or um, something that you might see on a candle. A light that is nearer to being burnt out than it is to being ablaze. And what we see pictured here is, it could be several things. It could be someone that's new to a faith, that has the light of grace within them, but is tempted to turn back to corruption, right? Maybe began the Christian walk with a great flame, but is now tempted to go back to corruption. Just like the people of Israel were tempted to go back to Egypt because they had great food, they had great snacks, right? How often can we be tempted to go back to the things of this world, to go back to those things? And this weakens our faith, and we feel like this faintly burning wick that is barely holding on to life. This could be a weak Christian whose light has almost gone out and is nearly extinguished by the weight and concerns of the world. A match that's almost at its end that is still a little bit red, but is covered, as we said, clouded in smoke. And again, many of us have felt this point in our life, like we are at our wits end. We are burning the candle on both sides, and the candle is starting to smoke because it's almost done. It's almost extinguished. We're questioning our our conversion. We're doubting God's promises. Not quenched totally, but being near to being burned out. And we see again the promise in Isaiah 42, the second part of verse 3, that Christ will not quench this smoking wick. That Christ will not quench this smoking wick. But the promise we see is that he will fan it into flame. Fan it into flame. He will take that which is little in light and fan it into a blazing fire kindled by the power of his spirit. That even the smallest spark is precious to our Lord. Right? What a great promise that is. That even the smallest spark, even the smallest flame is precious to our Lord. Not some natural spark of divinity that is found in every man, but the supernatural spark of God given by the light of Christ. That every single one of these small sparks is precious to our Lord. And this idea, this picture, this word picture that's being set up here is this tender care and preserving power that our Lord has with weak sinners. That even though we are smoking with unbelief, we are near to being extinguished, our Lord will not quench our faith, but he will rather fan it into flame, preserving light in the midst of darkness, in the face of our doubt and despair. Christ will not extinguish our faith, but in tenderness he will care and preserve our faith. That just like a match that is about to go out, if you've ever lit a match that needs to be protected by the wind, from protected by a hand from the wind, in the same way the almighty hand of our Savior protects us, a small burning wick from being extinguished by the flame and by the, by the cares and concerns of this world. So we see a bruised reed he will not break. 
and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And that brings us finally to our third point, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of grace that it says in the latter part of verse three that he will faithfully bring forth justice. This is the picture and imagery of a king bringing forth his kingdom. And we see that begins not externally, but internally in the hearts of God's people. And I think in these few short verses, we see very clearly and profoundly the contrast and the distinction between the weight and curse of the law and the beauty and glory of the gospel of Christ. That in our sin, we understand that we are under the weight and curse of the law. Now the world, even though it is under that weight and curse of the law, likes to try to act like it's not. (laughs) We'll do anything in its power to pretend like it's not under the weight and curse of the law. But us who are in Christ know that we are under the weight and curse of the law. But because the Lord Jesus Christ has come as the suffering servant in his incarnation, taking on flesh, our human nature, as we read in Hebrews chapter four, he's able to sympathize with our weakness. One who is tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. And so in a unique way, he is the one who not only understands our weakness, but he has purchased for us grace in the covenant of grace so that we can boldly approach his throne of grace, not under the threat of punishment, but under the joy of his mercy. He knows that we have nothing to give. He knows that we have nothing to contribute. And so that is why he freely gives of his lavish grace, lavishing upon us the riches of his infinite grace in the gospel. Why do I say this? Because it's in this grace that we see the contrast between the law and the gospel, between the weight and curse of the law and between the glory and mercy of what God has done for us in Christ. That these sentences would not be true under the law. That under the law of works, there's no forgiveness. What's demanded is perfect obedience, perfect righteousness. That is how you secure eternal life. Bruising only leads to breaking. Doubting only leads to despair. And faintly burning wicks will be quickly extinguished and put out. That's the way to curse the law. It snuffs out light. It says there's no hope of salvation within ourselves. This is the law of works. But under the law of faith, as we read in our passage, there is mercy and grace in time of need. That the tenderness of Christ does not crush or snuff out the flame, but fans it into glorious light because of the perfect intercession of Christ. Under the covenant of works, God is our judge, demanding perfect obedience, unable to keep it. As Galatians chapter three says, we are under the weight and curse of the law and demanded to keep it perfectly. But as we've said so many times, under the covenant of grace, God is not our judge, but our father who adopts us into his family as his beloved children, where we are pitied, 
protected and provided for. We have the law of the God written on our hearts of flesh. And we see that Christ not only pardons our sin, as we spoke about this morning, not only imputes the righteousness of Christ, but he also tenderly and lovingly cares for his children. That this is the great contrast between the law and the gospel, between the kingdom of works and the kingdom of grace. There's a great poem that goes like this. A rigid matter was the law, demanding brick, but denying straw. But when the gospel tongue it sings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. That the gospel is not like the law. The gospel is not only what gives us the perfect righteousness of Christ, but is the motivation for our good works. It is what empowers us for love and obedience to Christ. That it is when we see the tender care of Christ for weak sinners like you and I, that propels us to not follow after our disobedience, but to run to him. To run to him in faith, knowing that he will forgive us. That even in our sin, even in our disobedience, he calls us to repentance and faith in him. Or we could say it like this. In the kingdom of grace, we serve the king of grace, Christ himself. Who will not break the bruised reed, who will not quench the smoking flax, And even though he is mighty and awesome in his great power, is tender and patient with us, his children, bearing with our weakness that we might be drawn into greater fellowship with him. And so as we seek to apply this passage to our lives this evening, I handed this book to Adam before the service. Some of you might know that the title of this sermon is based off a book written by a Puritan named Richard Skibbs, Richard Sibbs rather, and he wrote a whole book on this verse, and it's called A Bruised Reed. And he has a great chapter title in that book, and I think it applies to what we're speaking of tonight, because I think the truth is we can be tempted that when we are most troubled in our conscience, when we feel the most weak in our faith, we can be tempted to see Christ not as a merciful savior, but as a severe judge. One who's going to be quick to point out our every sin. One who's not even going to forgive us. And one who's going to crush our weak faith. But as Richard Skibb says, believe Christ, not Satan. <laughs> believe Christ, not Satan. That Satan, the father of lies, distorts our view, not only of ourselves, but of Christ himself, right? And he tells us this in our conscience. There's no way Christ could forgive you for this sin. There's no way that your fellow believers will welcome you back into the fold after knowing what you've done. There's no way that God could forgive that sin. That the only real solution for you is to just despair, to just wallow in your guilt and utter helplessness, that there's no way God could forgive a sinner like you. But again, we must say to that, we must believe Christ, not Satan, because Christ is the humble Savior pictured in Isaiah 42. And we must not listen to Satan lies, Satan's lies. And I love what Richard Sibb says in his book. He says there is more mercy in Christ 
than sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And this is our great comfort that he will hold us fast, that he will keep us to the end. There's infinitely more mercy in him than iniquity in us. And as we contemplate and think about this, we also are reminded that Christ is the one that was broken and bruised for us. That the bruised reeds pictured here will ultimately be looking to the one in Isaiah 53 that is bruised and broken for his people. As it says in Isaiah 53 verse 5, he was bruised for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That you and I look to the one who deserved no bruising, yet took our bruising upon himself. He had no sin. He had no iniquity. Yet he drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. He was accursed for us. The man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Sib says this. He was broken that we should not be broken. (laughs) He was troubled that we should not be utterly despairing. He was accursed that we should not be accursed. That we have in Christ an all-sufficient Savior. One who is a comforter and there in our time of need. We have this in Christ who is the good shepherd. And there's a great song that, that goes like this. And I'll close with these words. In tenderness he sought me. Weary and sick with sin. And on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. He died for me while I was sinning, needy and poor and blind. He whispered to assure me, I found thee, thou art mine. I've never heard a sweeter voice. It made my aching heart rejoice. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. We have a great savior. We have a great shepherd who will not break the bruised reed, who will not quench the smoking flax, who is tender and lowly in heart and saves the crushed in spirit. Let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you've done for us in Christ, that we have in him not only the promise of forgiveness of our sins, And the the promise of his righteousness given to us. But we know that even in our weakness, even in our sorrow, even in our despair, we have the great Savior who will come to us, the servant of the Lord, and will not break us when we are utterly despairing. Who will not put out the flame of our faith, but will fan it into flame that we might burn for him and him alone. And if any of us are in that season this evening, feeling the weight and overcome by our sin, help us this this night to look to Christ, to rest in him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel, knowing that it is not about the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. As we look to him, he bears with us, he will keep us and hold us fast, and he will preserve us unto glory. We have hope in him this evening. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.